What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, July 8th, 2023. And I don't know how many times it's felt like already that we've done this episode of B-Shafe Daily, but we're doing it again. The Cardinals lost in a ridiculous way on Friday. They staked out a 5-0 lead early in Game 1 of the three-game series beginning on the south side of Chicago on Friday night. Things were looking up. Jordan Montgomery was on his game. The offense had provided him some support. Everything was great. Cardinals were getting off to a good start against a beatable team because the White Sox are down in the dumps in a very similar way to the Cardinals this season. They came into the year with expectations, came into the night, the same as St. Louis, at 15 games below 500. But the Cardinals' 5-0 lead was not meant to hold up because nothing has been meant to last for the Cardinals so far this season, right? And not only did the lead not last, as the Cardinals end up blowing not one but two saves in this game, two save opportunities to wrestle away the Major League lead from the White Sox once again, as we'll talk about battle of attrition between these two bullpens. But the Cardinals lose 8-7 to the White Sox on Friday. And perhaps more importantly than that, because the season, as we've talked about, is already kind of on the brink. We don't necessarily have high expectations for what the Cardinals could do in the second half to make a run at this thing. So we've really sort of begun to shift gears and think about this roster in terms of how they can improve at the deadline for beyond the 2023 season. What it looks like coming into next year is pretty important because I don't think Cardinals fans want to go through this again. And this has been now over three months of absolute misery for the St. Louis Cardinals and their fan base. So it matters what the Cardinals do between now and July 31st, but in order to improve for the future, you've got to be able to trade away some of the valuable assets that you have in the short term. And Jordan Montgomery certainly had his name sitting atop that list coming into Friday night. It very well still could be there, but there's some uncertainty now revolving around Jordan Montgomery because of the injury that he sustained on Friday night. Left the game early in the fifth inning with a hamstring injury. Felt it go and felt that it wasn't something that he was going to be able to pitch through. And so he motions to the dugout and the cavalry comes and very quickly he ends up leaving the mound in the game for the Cardinals. And well, everything kind of went to hell in a handbasket at that point which should perhaps come as no surprise because we know that the Cardinals' bullpen, frankly, is just not very good. Top to bottom, the bullpen has suddenly become, I don't know if it's even sudden, but over the past few weeks, it's really crystallized as being the primary problem for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023. And we knew going into Friday that a number of the, I guess you could say, prime relievers for the Cardinals were to be unavailable, like Jordan Hicks, like Giovanni Gallegos, and in theory, like Chris Stratton. But that didn't end up being the case because the Cardinals got far more desperate than they ever envisioned they would get when you saw Montgomery cruising through the first four innings the way that he did. But it ended up that the Cardinals needed to rely on a number of relief pitchers tonight, and by and large, everybody that came out of the Cardinals' bullpen was a failure, except for the guy that they were supposed to be able to hold out so that he could have a day of rest, so that he wouldn't have to pitch three days in a row, so that this bullpen could have a better chance Saturday and Sunday of having their top arms available. Chris Stratton was the guy that I'm referring to, and we didn't think he'd be available for this game and ended up pitching an inning in the third because Ali Marmel pretty much needed him to do so. And the worst part of it all is that it comes in a losing effort. It wasn't even worth it. Cardinals lose 8-7 to the White Sox on Friday night. 
So tonight on B-Shape Daily, we'll get into the Jordan Montgomery injury, the ramifications of that, the latest that we know as of this recording, based on what was said about it post-game. And we'll speculate a little bit on what it could mean if there is a severe or somewhat severe, even moderate, in terms of severity injury going on when it comes to Jordan Montgomery's hamstring, how that could impact things for the Cardinals at the upcoming trade deadline. Because we just started talking about, over the course of the last few days on B-Shape Daily, the idea that that was kind of the big white whale that we were watching for, whether the Cardinals and John Moselak could begin to make the trades necessary to start to reorganize and retool this roster for the 2024 campaign, or even to allow the remainder of the 2023 season to start to fall into place so that we could kind of see what to expect and what we can learn about this team going into next year that could inform some of the decisions that the Cardinals will need to make in the offseason. Again, Jordan Montgomery being traded, I think, was a central tenant to those ideas, and so maybe that's on the fritz now, depending on his status. We'll get into that. We'll get into the game itself. The Cardinals offensively had another nice game. Putting up seven runs is nothing to sneeze at. Unfortunately, though, it was the sixth time this season, according to my rudimentary count, that the Cardinals have lost a game while scoring seven or more runs. That's the downside of it as they lose this game 8-7. But man, oh man, is Nolan Arenado back on one right now with what he is giving the Cardinals offensively. Trying to put the team on his back. They're refusing, kicking and screaming to go with him. Again, it's not really the offense's fault, and tonight certainly wasn't a mark against the starting pitching. This bullpen is just absolutely becoming an anchor, weighing down the Cardinals. So we'll kind of identify some of the issues with that, but it's not going to be anything that anybody would consider new. But we'll talk a little bit about some of the other nuances going on with the team. I want to get into the Wilson Contreras thing, and it's not really a thing necessarily, but it's certainly become a trend and may not be one that matters anymore if Jordan Montgomery doesn't pitch again for the Cardinals. Uh, We'll see what that injury is going to be once again. But Wilson Contreras hasn't really caught Montgomery much recently, and I was looking into the trend today. I'll give you the numbers on that. But we'll also talk about the reason that the Cardinals identified and, and explained as the reason that he wasn't behind the dish for the Monty start on Friday. It made me laugh. i got to be totally honest with you. I'm not saying it's illegitimate. I'm just saying it made me laugh. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about some of the defensive alignment things that we've harped on a lot when it comes to Dylan Carlson now finally getting the chance to play center field, perhaps on a regular basis. And where do we think the best spot for Jordan Walker is in the Cardinals outfield? Because we've seen him kind of bounce back and forth between left field and right field. There are some differing opinions on that. I'll give you mine. And I'll also give some credit to Ivan Herrera, who had his season debut tonight and looked very good, capable behind the plate, but especially offensively. Does that cause a decision maybe down the road that could be difficult for the Cardinals to figure out. All that coming up tonight on B-Shape Daily. So appreciate you guys for being here. Make sure, do me a favor, help me out if you like the Cardinals content. Subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals Writer channel on YouTube. You can find it at youtube.com slash at bshafer12 or just click the subscribe button on this video if you happen to be watching on YouTube. Now, other places to find B-Shape Daily include following on Spotify and subscribing on Apple Podcasts for the audio-only version of the Daily Cardinals podcast that you're hearing right now. And to take your support of the channel to the next level, check out patreon.com slash pshafer12. But let's get right into the topic of the evening, which is Jordan Montgomery's hamstring. And we'll begin by hearing from Monty himself, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, after tonight's game. Getting images tomorrow, so hopefully good news. Just kind of slipped on the mound and... My, uh, I guess my, my body tried to catch myself. Did, 
does it, I mean, does it feel like it's, I know you can't tell, but does it feel like it might be, it won't be too serious? I don't want to say anything yet. Um, I'm big, I'm strong, I'm really good shape. Um, so I'm just trying to think that, thank goodness I'm, I'm as strong as I am and could catch myself. So hope, just hoping for good news tomorrow. Was it just the one pitch, or was it the pitch earlier where you started to feel something there? Uh, it was two. It I, I, I happened, and then threw that ball to Andrews, and it wasn't worth risking it to get worse. So that's straight from the horse's mouth there, Jordan Montgomery, after Friday's Cardinals loss to the White Sox, courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest on that audio there. It was interesting watching this unfold, the couple of pitches leading up to it. As he mentioned there, you heard him say it was two pitches prior to when they ended up taking him out. And it was right around that time that Avon Herrera ends up having a situation where the the umpires were saying, hey, you, you weren't prepared, you weren't ready on the on the pitch timer situation. We're going to assess an automatic ball, or is that, you know, you want the step off? The broadcast was kind of talking about it. And Herrera opting to say, yeah, you know, count that as a step off against my guy, I guess. Um, I, you know, didn't get the full explanation of what that was on the broadcast, but they were kind of assessing it that way. And the reason I think that he was kind of hesitant was because he maybe saw what Jordan Montgomery was referring to when it came to tweaking the hamstring there and then throws one more pitch and ends up saying there it wasn't worth risking it getting any worse. But the problem now is that we don't really know yet the severity of what it is. He didn't want to speculate. You heard Jim Hayes there asking, is it maybe something that doesn't feel like it's that bad? And he said, I don't even want to get into it. I don't want to speculate on what it could be. They're going to just have to rely on the imaging. A lot of times, though, when you have a maybe a minor strain or a tear or whatever you want to phrase it as, when it comes to these soft tissue injuries, it can be several weeks and then some in certain cases before a guy ends up getting back. And the pitching motion, you want to be careful about making sure you don't re-aggravate it if it's not fully healed. And so you kind of just have to rest it. That's going to be a really tricky situation because of the timeline between now and the trade deadline. Even if it's a slight tear or even if everything comes back and it, it comes back clean, there's still probably going to be a period of of a cool down, of a wait. I would have to imagine he goes on the injured list. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. And that's a decision that I think the Cardinals are going to have to make within the next couple of days. Now, they can wait through Saturday, wait through Sunday. The All-Star break happens, but as far as I'm aware... You can only backdate an injury and get credit for that when it comes to an IL stint by three days. And so they won't be able to just let the entire all-star break unfold before making that decision because then they won't be maximizing uh, the, the period for which Montgomery could then return. That's an optimistic view of it, though, because that would put him right around the 23rd, 24th of July. And as far as we know, he may not be ready to come back at that point, right? It's going to depend on the severity of the injury. But that's just a little bit of like the roster machination and how that's all going to work. We'll talk about that a little bit when it comes to Tommy Edmond going on the IL Friday. But not a great spot to be in if you're the St. Louis Cardinals because, again, I, I know there are those Cardinals fans out there who say, look, I want to see them ride this out. I want to have hope. I want to believe that they can figure this out and go on a run like they did in 2021, winning 17 games in a row in September, putting themselves into playoff positioning, I know the Reds have gone on a nice run, but you know this division is still top to bottom, all not all that strong. Like There are those Cardinals fans out there who feel that way, and I respect the hell out of it. But that being said, I think where the Cardinals are realistically, you have to recognize the benefit of being able to utilize the short-term assets. And when I say short-term, I mean the guys that are on expiring deals, expiring team control, not going to be part of this team next year, barring an extension of some sort. 
and those guys are under no obligation to sign such an extension before going to free agency. And so it makes the most sense to try and maximize your return on that value on those assets to trade them now for a team that's probably going nowhere this season. And Montgomery was at the top of that list. He was pitching so well, was mowing down the White Sox lineup, did get into a little bit of trouble there in the fifth inning before I think the situation with his hamstring really began to ramp up. But ultimately, it was just the one run uh, give it up on a homer in that inning by Montgomery. And other than that, just not a lot of damage across the board. Gave up one walk tonight, just three base hits in total across four and a third innings. ERA at 3.23 for the full season, even after tonight's game. Montgomery was going to have trade value. Now you have to hold your breath a little bit if you're the Cardinals. A lot of it. It's not a little. I think this is a very significant situation, even if the injury is only moderate. Because as MLB teams will recognize, these soft tissue injuries, even if you give them a timeline of, say, four to six weeks, okay, that puts you into mid to late August already at this point. What would a team do knowing that we're not going to have a, a chance to really get our hands on this player and to know his exact situation and to know how close he might be to returning if he is on the injured list at the trade deadline? That is scary for teams giving up real assets for a rental player. It basically completely tanks the market if you're the Cardinals. It's the worst-case scenario. I mean, I guess the worst-case scenario would be a long-term injury where you, you can't even give him a qualifying offer because he might not pitch for the next year, and it tanks the whole thing in the offseason, too. That would be the worst-case scenario. But the next worst thing is this sort of soft-tissue injury that's uncertain, the timeline we don't know. Maybe they find out the timeline is six to eight weeks. Okay, done. There's no way they trade Jordan Montgomery. I just can't fathom it at that point because any team acquiring him would be doing so with a whole lot of uncertainty. If you say six to eight weeks, you're into the beginning of September, basically, and you don't know what a guy's going to look like for that month. Maybe you have him for the playoffs. Maybe there is a a GM out there that's really savvy and forward-thinking and would be willing to do it and be willing to take that risk. But I'll tell you this, the Cardinals are going to get less. They're not going to get the value that they that they woke up on Friday morning thinking they had on the table potentially for Jordan Montgomery. And for people who say, well, this is why you, you shouldn't have to wait until the very end of the deadline in order to, to make a move like this, I get it. But we just, this is an example where it does kind of take a market to know. We've seen Aroldis Chapman as a relief pitcher get moved so far in this trading period, but there hasn't been a lot of movement of starting pitchers and the way you end up maximizing your value for a guy is seeing Jordan Montgomery continue to pitch well, which I think he was going to do. He was doing it tonight until he left the game with the injury. And then you kind of drum up interest based on the bidding wars that can ensue between two, three, four, five different contending teams that are all in need of starting pitching. And those teams are definitely out there. They exist. And I think the Cardinals could have ended up with a, a nice prospect or two, a nice young MLB piece or two, to be able to add to this roster, not only for the stretch run of this season, which by and large may not end up mattering, but more so for 2024, 2025, and beyond, they were in a really good position to do that. And now I think at best, it's become an uncertain situation. And at worst, we'll know by Saturday or Sunday that now it's probably going to be a deal where the Cardinals are not going to have the leverage or not going to be able to make the swing that they could have with Montgomery. And again, for people who didn't want them to trade Montgomery in the first place because they want to see the Cardinals do everything they can to succeed this season, well, it's bad news for those people too because you're not going to have him for however many weeks it ends up being unless this ends up being just the ultimate false alarm precautionary situation 
which again, Montgomery, if you want to look at the bright side, was the guy that took himself out of the situation, uh, basically said wasn't worth the risk of it getting any worse. He's a guy who knows he's got free agency looming. And so I'm sure his, uh, his agent, Scott Boris, has drilled that sort of mindset into his head of like, look, don't be a hero. This is not the situation to be a hero for. Um, you're, you're not on a playoff-bound team. You've got a bag of money waiting for you in the offseason, and that doesn't make Montgomery a selfish player if that's the mindset he's carrying. you got to look out for number one. you got to look out for yourself. It's his career. It's his profession. And so if there's anything that doesn't feel right, I think he did the, the exact right thing for him to say, all right, let's get this looked at. Best case scenario, though, he was being hyper-precautionary, and we end up seeing Montgomery able to, to take his turn when the Cardinals return after the All-Star break. But I'm skeptical over whether that's going to be the case because, again, he's going to want to be hyper-careful with it. His agent will want to be hyper-careful with it, and the Cardinals, too, will want to be careful with it and not exacerbate something, make it worse before you really get your handle on what, what you're dealing with. So really rough timing for the Cardinals. I think it ends up being a pretty significant blow to this team uh, when really all they had to look forward to in many ways was the trade deadline, and now that that kind of has some cold water thrown on it, potentially. We will be waiting with bated breath on Saturday to see what ends up becoming of the imaging or the MRI or whatever ends up uh, happening with Montgomery as they, they try to determine the severity of the hamstring injury that he suffered on Friday night. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Switching gears, though, to the way that Montgomery's early exit impacted the Cardinals' opportunity to win this game, it did so substantially. And the reason for that is because they just don't have a bullpen this season. It's been the story that's been building and building for weeks now. Remember when Ryan Helsley got hurt, and at the time it was like, well, that's a bummer, but Gallegos is pitching pretty well. You've still got some other guys that you believe in. Cabrera didn't look nearly as as questionable at the time as he has of late. Um, hadn't necessarily seen the final form of Jordan Hicks where he's closing games because that wasn't his role at the time, but you had seen improvements from him. It wasn't like the bullpen was in a terrible state when Helsley went down, but it was very quickly after that that we began to see the cracks were more like gaping holes in the stability of this bullpen as the Cardinals have consistently struggled to hold leads late in games ever since the Helsley injury took place. But even before that, we saw a number of times where things were just not happening for this bullpen. But my goodness, the tweet from Jeff Jones really sold it and summed it up in a pretty appropriate way, if you ask my opinion. When Andre Pallante comes into the game for the Cardinals there, in the sixth inning, he's trying to keep things from going off the rails. They absolutely go all the way off the rails. That was after Jojo Romero came in and was charged with a couple of earned runs, three runs overall, a couple of hits allowed, just not a great situation or a game from him. And so at least we look at his numbers now for the season because his ERA was pretty low before this one. Now it's up to 4.35 because he gives up two earned over the course of an inning. And so his ERA matches the aesthetic of the rest of the Cardinals bullpen much more appropriately. But Pallante comes in trying to, to save it or at least keep it there. And it ends up being a blown lead. The White Sox strike for five runs 
in the sixth. Uh, Jake Berger was a menace tonight for the White Sox against Cardinals pitching. Had the home run and then had a big RBI swing. A couple of RBIs on that swing. Uh, I believe it ended up going for a double in the sixth. Whatever the case was. White Sox took a 6-5 lead there. And Jeff Jones had the tweet where he said, here's a fun fact. Palante recorded the Cardinals' 19th blown save of the season, giving them the MLB lead in that category, which is a, a wonderful distinction, of course. But then uh, Keenan Middleton ended up getting a blown save in the very next inning as Dolan Arenado refused to go away. Like I said, he's trying to put this team on his back. A two-run home run, his second of the game, coming there in the top of the seventh inning, gave the Cardinals a lead. They're back ahead, 7-6. to six. But then Kyle Leahy with the MLB debut delivered the Cardinals' 20th blown save of the season, taking the lead back. So Jeff Jones chronicling all that. The back and forth, you just thought it was a back and forth in another one-run game, another one-run loss for the Cardinals, and they've got a ton of those this season as well. I guess that makes them something like 8-18, eight and 8-19. Eight and 19. They, they pile them up like candy these days. But chronicling the blown save leaderboard as the Cardinals, we know the bullpen has struggled. Yes, 20 blown saves this season, had two of them tonight because they reclaimed the lead, and so you get another blown save credited to your ticket when you blow another save and you blow another lead. And so 24 the season, the White Sox aren't having a great year either. They've got 19, but the Cardinals, uh, not only would they refuse to win this game, the Cardinals would refuse to lose the blown save leaderboard at the conclusion of Friday's contest. So I thought that was a, a nice summary there by Jeff, and it just kind of goes to show where you are right now if you're the St. Louis Cardinals talking about this bullpen. You can look at some of the bullpen ERAs. We did the game like a week ago or so where we talked about pretty much everybody in this bullpen had an ERA above four. Everybody that was part of the active roster, which means if you're Ollie Marmel, your options pretty much are terrible. <laughs> On a nightly basis, you just don't have the potential to go to your bullpen and know that the guy that's coming in is somebody that you can trust. And even as they have shuffled a number of names into and out of that bullpen mixture over the last week or so, I'm just giving you the numbers. Dakota Hudson right now is the only guy that you would classify as a Cardinal reliever because he's appeared twice on the season and hasn't started either of those games. Has been sort of a, a long relief fella. Five and a third total innings and has given up just two earned runs, which brings his ERA to 3.38. That's very respectable, very solid. Nobody else on the Cardinals active roster among the relievers has an ERA better than four. Jordan Hicks is at 4.04. And in fact, the only other guy on the active roster that has an ERA under four is Jordan Montgomery at 3.23. And there is a better than even chance that he's not going to be on the active roster the next time we talk on Saturday night. That is brutal, and it would mean that every single Cardinal pitcher, starter, reliever, doesn't matter, other than Dakota Hudson, who has only pitched a couple of games, give him time, would have an ERA north of four. Jojo Romero in that class now. Chris Stratton. Chris Stratton is the guy that has pitched three days in a row now, had two in a row coming into tonight, and was basically uh, an open secret that he was not going to be available to pitch tonight. Cardinals did not want to go to him again unless they absolutely had to, and that's the reason you end up seeing Kyle Leahy in what is essentially a leverage opportunity there after Nolan Arenado's home run gives the Cardinals the lead again in the seventh. He gives up a bomb to Luis Robert. And then the lead escapes from there as he loads the bases and Stratton comes in and walks the first guy that he sees to have that run charged to Leahy. But Leahy's the one that loaded the bases and Stratton, you know, couldn't find the strike zone for his first man. He settled down from there recording four outs without giving up an earned run himself. But like, that's the guy that you're looking to. Chris Stratton, who's, who's an awesome dude, 
But if that's the guy that you're like, well, we just have to throw him for a third day in a row and for the fourth day out of the last five because we don't have any other options, that sucks. That's the world that Ali Marmel is managing out of right now, and it is not a good place to be. It's it's not a circumstance under which anybody would want to manage the big league roster. Again, they threw Chris Stratton on the 3rd of July, the 5th of July, the 6th of July, and then coming in today, it was like, all right, they're not going to throw him, right? Nope. They ended up having to. And there are people who would say, well, why was Leahy in the spot? It should have been Stratton from the beginning. Enough. Enough already when it comes to criticizing the order of operations and, and which reliever Ollie Marmel picks and which one he doesn't pick. It is exhausting. And I get it. It's frustrating because this is one of the worst bullpens in MLB this year. But let's look at it for what it is as one of the worst bullpens in MLB this year. It's not Ollie Marmel making them terrible. It's all of them pitching badly that's making them terrible. There are plenty of things to criticize about Ollie Marmel, and I've been doing it more and more recently because I don't think he's been doing as good of a job. I get it. You might say, well, he hasn't been doing a good job all year. The record indicates that. Totally understand. But I think a lot of those criticisms that the fans want to gravitate toward, rather than the ones that would have some merit, I I think it's largely people getting fixated on this bullpen stuff, where I would say he hasn't really had the issues that, in my opinion, he hasn't had the issues that a lot of Cardinals fans think he's had in that area. It's just that he doesn't have any good options. I know everybody likes to think from the sideline that they have all the answers, but I'm telling you, it's a lot easier, it's a lot bigger of a difference than you think to be able to do that looking at the box score after a game is over than in the the crux of a situation when you have to consider who's up at the plate, who's on deck, who's on base, what are the tendencies of the pitcher, the hitter, and all of these things. Reality, sometimes you can make a decision that isn't best practice. It might not have been the very best decision, but it isn't the decision itself that costs the team the game or the moment. It's still the execution of the player. And when up and down the bullpen, you don't have players or pitchers that are capable of executing on a very high level, collectively, individually, all of it, I have a hard time laying that at the feet of the manager. I am happy. I am gleeful, in fact, more than happy to lay it at the feet of John Mozeliak because he built this pitching staff. He's now recently come out. I saw it on 101 ESPN the other day where he said, yeah, or or, I apologize, that was KMOX. I alluded to it a couple of days ago that Tom Ackerman had, had sent a tweet out quoting some of the things that John Mozeliak had said in an interview on their station. But it's finally now John Mozeliak going, yes, we should have done more when it comes to figuring out this pitching staff in the offseason. It's looking like it ended up being a mistake. He said, uh, on the rotation as it was constructed, I do think that some of the decisions we made, some of the guys that we were trying to give opportunities to, just hasn't worked out. It's very fair to say we should have done more and could have done more, and hopefully you learn from that. I would make the case, though, that identifying the players that they thought from a relief perspective were going to be able to fill in some of the gaps, they've done a bad job of that this year. Coming into this year, the the groundwork that was laid in the offseason for the rotation, we all can kind of see how that went haywire. But in the bullpen, a lot of times you have the Memphis shuttle working and it works to the Cardinals' advantage because you've got depth and you've got when somebody's overworked or somebody's dealing with a bit of an injury, you're able to constantly cycle through new guys. And more often than not, you you, you come up with some diamonds in the rough that hit. But this season, I, I'll just run through some of the names. Packy Naughton, injury. That's unfortunate that he's not healthy enough to pitch. Guillermo Zuniga, 
I guess he's been injured as well, but he, he threw one inning with St. Louis and it was a good one. And then they threw him back to Memphis and he hadn't pitched well there. But like that was another one of the guys that they were thinking back in February, this guy's going to be helping us. Wilking Rodriguez, another great example. Rule five pick from the Yankees. Throws 100, but injured in spring training on the 60-day IL, I believe, at this point. Haven't seen him all year. Jojo Romero, though, one of the guys, I mean, they, they picked him up last year. They felt like he was somebody that had some good raw stuff, hasn't really performed very well. Andre Palante has been a disappointment this season. Zach Thompson has been a disappointment this season. Now he's back with the team. Is he going to start, going to relieve? Who really knows what his role ends up being? Had been the starter at Memphis. They may end up needing him in the rotation now if Montgomery is injured. Uh, Steven Matz was a starter, then a reliever. Now he's back to being a starter, but hasn't been good. Jake Woodford struggles. Injury. James Nail hasn't pitched well. Like, Hennessy's Cabrera has struggled. You could go up and down the entire list. And generally, there's some younger arms on the way that contribute in some meaningful way. And that just hasn't been the case. Guys like Jake Walsh. I don't know what his numbers are at Memphis, but the Cardinals haven't thought to call him up based on them. Uh, Not a younger guy, but Andrew Suarez, lefty reliever that they've had at Memphis. Veteran guy. One of the guys who signed in spring training to try to beat some of that depth. That hasn't panned out. Like None of the kind of flyers that you take in the offseason to hope that you can come up with some diamonds in the rough have hit. And that's just identification from the front office. It's it's unfortunate that injuries do happen, but you cannot you cannot use injuries as an excuse when it comes to pitcher. Pitchers get hurt. That's why you need depth. That's the whole point of it. And the Cardinals haven't been any better or worse off in terms of injury luck when it comes to their pitchers this season. I refuse to to allow that as an escape valve for John Mozeliak in the front office when it comes to the fact that they just didn't get the hands on deck that were necessary to put together a good bullpen this season to be able to withstand some of the injuries that inevitably you're going to go through. It, it just hasn't been the case. I actually happen to have the spring training roster sitting right here on my desk as I do this podcast from this past February and in, in February and March in Jupiter. And I mean, again, you just look up, up and down this list when it comes to relievers and bullpens and arms. There are dozens and dozens of arms that end up in a spring training camp. And a lot of times you're looking at some of these guys like, oh yeah, the, you know, Jake Walls could end up being a guy or, or you know, they... They brought in so-and-so. They just, none of them have panned out looking up and down this list. Kyle Leahy comes in tonight and had a strikeout. That was fun, and the the fun lasted for like a second because he ends up getting shelled, gives up the home run, then loads the bases. Like, John Mosellac brought all these guys in, and when each and every one of them fails, yeah, it's on each individual pitcher, but these are guys in a lot of cases that are just trying to make a career, and ultimately I'm looking at a lot of them thinking they're not going to be successful in doing so. Talking about that next tier of the depth and the guys that you bring in that you hope you can identify and then mold into capable relief pitchers down the road, they just have not had any of them. Ryan Laudos is the one guy that's got like a 3-9 ERA in Memphis. Maybe he would be on the way at some point soon too. I don't know who else you're going you're gonna to call upon because it just has not panned out for this group. And so when, when you talk about the Cardinals not handling the pitching very well, Definitely bring up the rotation. I think that's relevant because they had to know that it was maybe wishful thinking to think you can bring in this, yes, a veteran rotation, but a lot of guys that had not fully developed into what they they needed to be, and a lot of guys that had injury question marks or just general performance question marks, 
and they didn't have the depth in, in, on hand that they would need to be able to withstand one or two or three of those guys not panning out. And it, yes, you could make a case that everything they've touched has turned to stone. Almost every guy except for Montgomery has had legitimate issues, and now he's going to be potentially on the injured list. But Wainwright just flat out not having it this year, yeah, I mean, it's up to them to to kind of anticipate what it's going to look like for Wayno, and they bought into the fact that September for him last year where he struggled so badly was a mirage and it wasn't going to be that way anymore. They were wrong. It's gotten much worse, and now, you know, they're, they're talking about it as a physical limitation, as an injury. Uh, okay, I mean, again, I'm not doubting that there are physical things going on, but that's basically been the worst-case scenario. Wainwright on the injured list to begin the season. Now he's hurt again, and in between, just terrible performance that did not give the Cardinals a chance to win most times. Jack Flaherty has been rather inconsistent, but starting to come around. It made sense to believe in him. It made sense to believe in uh, Jordan Montgomery. Miles Michaelis as well, but he has underperformed certainly the expectations of him, making you feel a little bit unsatisfied when it comes to the contract extension that he signed back in spring training. And then Steven Matz, of course, has been an unmitigated disaster. Did look better in relief, but now he's back to the starting rotation, and so We'll see Sunday what it ends up looking like for him back reintegrated into that role. But, like, you could go up and down this entire thing and go, wow, boy, did they miss. And should they have seen it coming? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of Cardinals fans saw it coming. I think a lot of local media saw it coming. People were saying they got to figure out this pitching thing, and the guys on hand aren't going to be the ones to conceivably get it done. I don't know if anybody locally envisioned it being this bad. But certainly being a middling rotation and just not having any high-end names, really, any any true ace of staff was, was kind of the conversation we talked a lot about. But the death has been problematic as well. But when every single guy that you try to develop, every single guy that you try to rely upon, basically ends up not panning out, save for a couple here and there, you can go Dakota Hudson. Like, we'll see what he ends up being. He may go back into the rotation, but didn't perform well at Memphis. Matthew Libertor performed whatever at Memphis, but then comes up and, and absolutely did not uh, meet the standard when it comes to his MLB performance this season. So you might have thought you had six, seven, eight starters, but my goodness, all of them have faltered other than Montgomery, who you may not have anymore based on the injury tonight. So it's brutal out here to quote Olivia Rodrigo. It's bad. It's dire straits. And I I don't really know what instantly fixes it. I don't think there is an instant fix. I think activity at the trade deadline is important, but like we talked about yesterday, other than being able to trade off your your pitching assets and maybe you know the, the short-term guys like Hicks and Flaherty and we'll see about Montgomery, maybe you get a pitching prospect as part of that that ends up developing into something. I don't know how realistic it would be to get a guy that joins your 2024 rotation unless you package maybe one of the starters with Hicks and they go to the same team for a pitching prospect. That could be conceivable. But otherwise, I think you're going to have to deal from your position player strength and they certainly do have that. But you got to deal from that group and trade a guy that you probably don't want to trade in order to answer the question that you, you honestly, if you're the Cardinals, could have answered more effectively in a previous offseason, uh, but just either refused to do so, were too, were too squeamish to do so, or were just incapable of doing so when it comes to being able to identify partners via trade and execute a deal. Uh, I think more than anything, though, it's been the free agent misses they've identified the guys that they've wanted in some cases like Matt's they've gone out and gotten those players and they haven't been the right answer meanwhile they pass on in other free agent periods 
uh, starting pitchers that that would have been available and would have been able to contribute. So it's been an unmitigated disaster. John Mozeliak has had one miss after another when it comes to the pitching arena, and yeah, it's time to fix it. Otherwise, it's just going to be bleak period of baseball for Cardinals and Cardinals fans. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. Still needs to be an active trade deadline, but but it's taken a blow, I think, for sure when it comes to Jordan Montgomery. Which, one last thought on Montgomery is pertaining to Wilson Contreras, who, as we know, has kind of been under the gun a little bit this season when it comes to getting thrown under the bus on being taken out of the catcher role earlier this season. And speculation on whether Montgomery maybe had something to do with that. I don't know if it's fair or unfair, but I just want to highlight the trend, as I did in a tweet earlier today. Wilson Contreras caught the first five Montgomery starts of this season. And then that was right around the time where he was sidelined from the position, came back, but still hasn't really caught very much of the Montgomery starts that we've seen since then. Two out of the last 13 now Jordan Montgomery starts have been started at catcher by Wilson Contreras. Two out of 13 after starting the first five is a crazy number to me. And every time it seems like, you know, for a while it was with Andrew Kisner, well, we like the fact that we're facing a lefty and we like Andrew's bat in there, and so that's the reason we do it. It was always something. And then today, I think the the explanation for why Contreras was not behind the plate for Montgomery today absolutely took the cake. It was because he had a dentist appointment. You heard that right. In Chicago, where he lived for, you know, a number of years when he was with the Cubs. So that part of it makes sense. You know, you're going to be in Chicago, maybe schedule the dental appointment, get get that out of the way if you haven't figured out in St. Louis who you're going to go to. That's fine. No problem with that. But how hilarious is it that, well, he had some dental work done, and that's why he can't start on the day that uh, Jordan Montgomery happens to start. Like I said, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying they're lying about it. I'm saying it is fundamentally hilarious. Like, objectively, that's funny. And if Jordan Montgomery ends up seeing through this hamstring thing and is able to come back, shortly after the All-Star break. If they say that Wilson Contreras has a chiropractic appointment on the same day that he pitches next time, I'm telling you what, I'm going to get a little suspicious. <laughs> but it really is. I mean, it's it's a little comical. You have to laugh at some of the stuff going on this season. More and more, it feels like a Seinfeld episode or Curb Your Enthusiasm or just one of those scenarios that you just go, can this really happen? How weird of it? Yeah, it's really happening to the Cardinals this season. Dental appointment. Had some dental work done. And so he couldn't catch Jordan Montgomery today. Like I said, it was maybe not really going to matter that much anymore because he was only supposed to have a couple more starts with the Cardinals before ideally being traded for a, for a pretty penny at the deadline to help the team retool. But now we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens there as it pertains to Montgomery's injury. But wanted to talk about that angle from Contreras. But because we're talking the catching situation, it was Yvonne Herrera that started the game tonight in his stead. And boy, did he have a nice season debut. He had like a 989 OPS at Memphis this season after really not impressing very much last year when he got a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Uh, if you recall, I think it was when Yachty was down, and so they were really trying to to get something out of the position offensively, and Andrew Kisner wasn't providing much last year. And so they were giving Herrera his shot, former top catching prospect, and I, I think still probably rated highly enough on some of those lists, but boy, did he not look sharp. And defensively, I think, was a lot of the issues. Just did not look comfortable to the extent that the Cardinals weren't comfortable with him, and they went with Austin Romine there for a while. Remember him? And he brought nothing to the plate offensively, but they didn't care. They just had to have more of maybe a veteran presence back there defensively, and Herrera wasn't meeting the billing. This year, 
seems to be doing better defensively, but certainly offensively with a 989 OPS in AAA. And then tonight comes out of the gate with a two for five and a couple of RBIs and a run scored in his first big league start of the season. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what maybe happens there at the catcher position because the Cardinals have very clearly been trying not to use Contreras a lot there. I mean, you look at the recent game logs, he's been DHing a little bit more, hasn't been catching a ton. He's really feeling more like a 50-50 timeshare type of catcher, and that is not the way that it was built. Don't let anybody give you revisionist history. Yes, he was supposed to DH. That's the way the Cardinals envisioned it coming in. But no, he was not supposed to DH as much as he has. And they clearly didn't think very highly of Andrew Kisner coming into the season. They were trying to pretend that Trice Pereira was going to have a, a, a shot at the backup job, which was false and was never a realistic thing. But they were focused so much on well, we need more offense from the catcher position. And so in spring training, if Trace Pereira hits a couple of dingers or something, then we're going to talk about it and try to light a fire under Andrew Kisner. Maybe that's really what it was more about. But it just never made sense to me. But I'm just highlighting that to show, like, they thought very little of Kiz. And so to think that then they were were happy to turn him into a 50-50 timeshare guy with Wilson Contreras like they've done over the past few weeks is kind of wild to me. Uh, and, And we've highlighted that a lot already this season. But what's interesting is I do think Yvonne Herrera has more upside offensively than Andrew Kisner, who has certainly come around offensively uh, after a really, really slow start and a really bad spring training. I'm just intrigued to see what maybe happens after Andrew Kisner is able to come back because I don't think it's going to be a long-term injury for him. If Herrera shows really well, and given the fact that you know they, they don't seem to want to catch Contreras as much as we thought they would, you may see more Herrera opportunities here. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to start him on Saturday with Michaelis just to kind of see what he can bring to the table because you'd love to extract some upside there from a, a former top prospect. But the Cardinals paid $87.5 million to Contreras in part because they didn't think Herrera was anything. Based on what they saw last year, I think they identified that, eh, maybe he's not the heir apparent to Yadier Molina that we had hoped he would be. And so we've got to find an answer Like, they didn't give any consideration to him in the offseason, and now they're kind of stuck in this spot where you do have an opportunity for him to showcase his game, but you also, uh, what do you do when Andrew Kisner comes back because he's done a nice job, they've talked him up, but you got to play Contreras back there as well. Like, more and more, if Herrera ends up being a player, you could feel that the Contreras signing in the first place was a mistake. If he hits, it won't look that way, but I'm just saying that for a guy who hasn't really hit as much as you would have hoped, Coming into uh, the season, you you thought he'd have a higher OPS, more power numbers, more everything. Yes, he's coming around lately. But if he doesn't end up being the stud middle order bat for the next few years that the Cardinals had hoped, man, oh, man, it's going to be crazy if Yvonne Herrera pops off and, and they won't have an opportunity to use him. And they'll probably have to trade Yvonne Herrera, which is like, again, you could showcase him now. It could be a very risky proposition to do it because they've been looking for an heir to Yachty for a long time. When they failed to find him in a timely fashion, they spent a whole bunch of money on a new guy, and the new guy's not working out so great. So it would be absolute kismet if Ivan Herrera ends up being a dude, but he has to do it somewhere else because they trade him for a pitcher at the deadline or something, which is totally plausible in my mind. I, I just don't know how much value he's going to have or how much willingness the Cardinals are going to have to move him. But again, if they if they thought highly of him, I don't think they would have signed Contreras or would have been so desperate to do so. And so it's just another misstep in terms of allocation of resources. Regardless of the way that Contreras turns out as a value and as a player to the Cardinals, it's a misallocation of resources if you had Herrera as a really good player on the rise and then you basically willingly blocked him because 
you saw him for a few games and didn't like what you saw and decided that he wasn't all that. Like, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but man, it feels like that could be a path that we we go down here if Herrera ends up turning in more good performances the way that he did Friday night. That's one game, so don't overreact to it, but he's had a lot of good games in Memphis this year and, and has really shown to do a kind of layer to his offensive profile. So interested to see how that plays out, but all in all, it's better than not having an option like Herrera either as a trade ship or as a guy who can fill in a catcher. Um, it's a positive for the Cardinals to have him doing well, but you can also see kind of the catch-22 of the situation that him doing well creates for uh, kind of the image of the front office in the way the Contreras deal went down. But diving into the rest of the offensive performance from the Cardinals today, mentioned a, a good two-for-five from Herrera, but how about the top of the Cardinals order? Brendan Donovan, three-for-five. Paul Goldschmidt, three-for-five. Lars Newpark, two-for-five with a couple of runs scored. And that was thanks to Nolan Arenado continuing to bat him in. Two for five, two two-run home runs by Nolan Arenado. Has the OPS up to 850. I told you the numbers would be there at the end of the season. What a deserving all-star. He tried to put the team on his back tonight, along with some help from his friends. Again, Cardinals came up with 11 hits, I believe, against Dylan Cease tonight. He's a very good pitcher for the White Sox. Got five earned runs against him. He still struck out eight. Gave up the uh, one home run to Arenado through six innings. But a nice job by the Cardinal lineup tonight to get 16 hits, 11 of them against the starter. To not be able to get a win out of that is frankly appalling, but it's not the Cardinal offense's fault that it didn't happen. Again, this is, I believe, the sixth time this season that they've scored seven or more runs and have come away with a loss. That cannot happen. You score seven in this league, you got to be able to win the game. Ollie Marmel has said that a number of times, and he probably could have said it six times because... That's how many times they've lost when doing so this season. But offensively, they really did come through. Nolan Gorman, uh, Nolan Gorman, excuse me, one for five, three strikeouts. Still struggling a little bit at the plate. He's going to be that boomer bust type of hitter. I just think that's the reality of his game at this point. And I don't know if he's ever going to be able to fully shed that label. But the OPS at 794 for the season. Not a banner day for Gorman defensively. Again, I believe in him at second base, and I appreciate the strides that he's made this season. But didn't have a great time with it tonight. But one of the instances that I don't put on Nolan Gorman was a key spot in this game, honestly, when you think back to the the, the final tally being a one-run game. Cardinals ended up giving up the lead in that sixth inning when Andre Pallante blew the save, but it, in my opinion, should have been a tie game coming out of that inning because you had a spot with runners on second and third with one out after several runs had already been given up. I believe the score at the time was 5-4 to four Cardinals. So basically, two ducks on the pond, the go-ahead run on second base. And what do the Cardinals do with one out? Well, they bring the infield in. I am so tired of it. I'm so tired of seeing the Cardinals bring the infield in this season because they do not have that kind of defense anymore. 2022 Cardinals, 2021 Cardinals, totally understand it. They've got gold glovers at basically every position on the infield. You've got an aggressive, savvy group. You try it. Right now, the Cardinals defensively, Paul DeYoung does a fine job. But I don't think he's the kind of guy that you just are over the moon about having him come home with the ball. I mean, there's one instance that I can recall this year where he had a bad throw to Contreras and it cost the Cardinals in that situation. Arenado, sure, he's still Arenado, and I'm, I understand bringing him because he can make that play. But the spot that I cannot stand the way they played it defensively was Gorman's. And I, I know positioning, it's not like they're the coaches are saying, stand exactly here. But they have a general team philosophy on what they want to do there, and I think it's a completely bad philosophy. This is not the kind of defense that you can be hyper-aggressive with. 
in every situation. And they consistently are, are – their philosophy is we're not going to concede a run. We're never going to concede a run. Okay, that is how you give up big innings, you give up crooked numbers, and you end up losing games by slim margins because you don't have the edge in any of those other areas. And I don't trust – like if you had an edge defensively on the infield like you used to, it would make sense to be hyper-aggressive. I hate it, and I hate it even more because Gorman is the second baseman. He's shaded in and shaded toward the second base bag. When every Andre Palante ground ball in the history of forever always goes to where the second baseman normally stands. I'm serious. You could go back to the playoff game last year when it was Tommy Edmond and they had the infield drawn in, and I complained about it then, and I and I got it then because the tying run ends up meaning you, you know, you just lost the lead in a playoff game and can go off the rails from there. I didn't agree with it then, but I understood it at least. But here's a situation where you'd already given up three runs in an inning. Your starting pitcher had gotten injured. Everybody is reeling. That is not the time to say we could be aggressive off, uh, defensively and make a play to save this game. That is staunch the bleeding time. Play it middle. Play it at, at regular depth. And maybe concede the one run so that you don't end up just absolutely appalled by the fact that you're trailing in the game. And that's exactly what happened. Ground ball exactly to where the second baseman should have been standing. Would have been an out. It's Andre Pallante on the mound. You know he's going to get a ground ball to the right side. You, I mean, you know it. <laughs> he does it all the time. But they put themselves willingly in a position to not execute that out at first base. Two runs score instead of just one run. And then he gets another ground ball to second right after that. Ends up ending the inning. It should have been a 5-5 five to five game. Instead, it was 6-5. to five. I'll die on the hill. I don't care anymore. I'll die on the hill. I'm tired of seeing it because I, I just don't agree with it. I don't think you're that guy. Not specific to Gorman, but as a Cardinal defense. I'm using the wrong pronouns or the wrong words here. But, like, you're not that dude. The Cardinals defensively on the infield right now, the way they've performed in 2023, are not that dude collectively. And so I say sometimes you got to bite the bullet and staunch the bleeding, and they continue to play this hyper-aggressive mindset as though they're 10 games above 500 and they're, they've got the swagger and they've got... That's not the spot for me. I hated it as I as it happened as the ball came off the bat, I thought, oh, surely that's an out that they're going to be able to get something when Polante has just been totally reeling on the mound. Nope, it's two more runs and a base hit. The inning continues. I mean, it is just, it boggles the mind to me. It really does that they continue to insist that they're this team that they haven't been all season long. And, you know, I don't know how much of an aspect of, of that is causing the Cardinals to be as bad as they are instead of just being, like, mediocrely bad. I, it may just be a small thing. I may be totally barking up the wrong tree, and I'm the dummy for this take. Don't care anymore. I'll call it as I see it. I couldn't believe that they're still insisting upon this play the play the aggressive, never concede a run. The Cardinals ain't that guy this year. They don't have that in their bag, and especially Nolan Gorman. Like, what is he going to do? If, if he happens to hit it up the middle, Gorman's going to make the diving stop and throw home and make the play. Maybe he will. I'm giving him credit for the improvements he's made at second base. I just can't believe they did it in that spot. And to, to shade him closer to up the middle the way that they did, when every Andre Palante ground ball in the history of forever goes right to the exact spot that that ball went to, I was just like, all right, <laughs> I don't know what they're supposed to do. If those are the, the, you know, you're setting yourself up to fail when you know the numbers. That's the thing for me. You know the ground ball is coming. That's Marmol is well aware. He talks about that all the time, and they plan for that. But to not have Gorman with a a better opportunity to field the baseball and just get his pitcher and out as he's been reeling, 
like the way the game has gone, you know it's not going to be a, a six to five finish. There are going to be more opportunities to score. You have to figure. You don't have to play the aggressive. If we don't save the game right here in the bottom of the sixth, we're going to lose. Like that is, there's there's a place and a time for that. I don't think it was tonight, and largely I don't think it's it's most times when it's the 2022 or pardon me 2023 Cardinals. 22 is a different story. They had a lot of good defensive play, and this year they just haven't been as sharp as a defense, and so. I think you cater your strategy toward that. Um, Marmol is saying, let's go down with the ship and insist that we're still this team defensively when we haven't been all year. And we've got a reeling pitcher, but we're going to continue to just drive home the, the the same old, same old, this is what we do in this spot. And I didn't like it. So I wanted to rant about it a little bit. That's why I've got a podcast. I was afforded the opportunity to do so. <laughs> Appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Plenty of Cardinals content coming the rest of the way. And uh, it'll be more fun when we can talk Cardinals in the offseason when there's no games to be played and we don't have to worry about wins and losses. We can just kind of have a little fun. But we'll be doing that, so make sure you are subscribed on YouTube, following on Spotify, and subscribed on Apple Podcasts as well if you happen to have an iPhone. Um, I do not, but I'm sure it's a great app. And uh, if you like listening to Be Safe Daily that way, uh, more power to you. All right, a couple of other conversations on the defense before we wrap things up with basically the same way we wrapped up Thursday's show talking about an injury for Tommy Edmond potentially when we kind of got the Jose Fermin news that he might be in route to the Cardinals. He was, and it meant that Edmond was on the, the IL. But before we get into that, I want to say finally, 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 it seems like Dylan Carlson's going to get some run in center field, made a really nice running catch coming in on a ball tonight, had a couple of great catches as we talked about yesterday, last night. He's the dude in center field, just play him. Also had an RBI hit in the game tonight. I think giving him some confidence Supplying him with opportunity is a very positive thing, and maybe you end up getting rewarded for that if you're the St. Louis Cardinals as uh, Carlson. Just the one for four tonight with the one RBI, but doing a nice job defensively for sure. Love that he's in center field. Jordan Walker, offensively two for five, had a really nice at-bat in the ninth inning of this game tonight. Cardinals were down to their last out, I think his last strike, and found a way to grind out a base hit in that situation. Didn't end up resulting in another comeback for the Cardinals, but he was two for five. Had a good game at the dish. Wanted to talk real quick about my view on left field versus right field for Jordan Walker. The way it was described coming into the season and back in spring training was, remember, this guy had only played outfield since like last August 1st or whatever it was after Harrison Bader was traded, which sort of, I guess they could have anticipated it previously that the guy's not going to be able to play third base because Arenado exists. But that was the point at which they actually began putting him in the outfield. Like I said, why they waited that long, I have no idea, but it sort of resulted in him being behind the curve when it comes to performance at a big league caliber outfield level. He hasn't been that defensively. Spring training, he played a lot of left field. And the reasoning, as it was described by the Cardinals, was, well, he's going to play a little bit of everything. At first, last year, they said center field, and I think they even put him in there in the minors at some point. That was silly. He's not going to ever be that guy. But they said more left field in spring because he had done more right field in the minors and was more comfortable there. Even though he did say, like, on opening day early in the season, I remember him saying, like, well, left field, it is similar to the way I saw the ball coming off the bat as a third baseman. But if I recall correctly, he described that he was more comfortable in right field. I could be wrong about that. I could be making that up. But that was the description for why they played him so much in left in spring rather than right. I view that Jordan Walker, long-term, better right fielder, First of all, I don't think you get as much action in right as left. Maybe at, maybe that's like a dumb Little League mindset for me, but I feel like I'd rather 
hide Jordan Walker for now in the spot where you don't get as much action or as much damaging action because it seems like a lot of these balls that have come his way in left field, when he botches it, he botches it severely, and it ends up being a really problematic situation for the team. Don't like the way he's looking left. I'm using the eye test on this. I just have not thought he's done a very good job out there in left. Hasn't done a great job in right either, but I think once he ultimately is able to hone his throwing arm a little bit, which he's got a lot of power behind the throwing arm, hone it as a right fielder, I think could be a long-term advantage for the Cardinals. Newpart doesn't look super-duper comfortable in left to my eyes either, but I think he's an athletic enough outfielder that he'll just figure it out the more he plays of it. And maybe that's part of the whole thing when it comes to Dylan Carlson not playing center is they haven't, like, that's the one guy where they've all played kind of a little bit everywhere. Tyler O'Neill never really played right field, but Lars Newpar has never really played a lot of left field for the Cardinals this season. And I feel like that's the place ultimately that he that he maybe needs to land. I don't know. I I get that you could maybe make a comp of Jordan Walker being very Matt Holiday-esque in left field. But, like, that wasn't a fun experience for anybody either. So I I think I do prefer Jordan Walker in right, but the bottom line is he's going to have to get better as an outfielder. And I, I just wanted to kind of articulate that I didn't mind him playing right field tonight. I think they should continue with that because I think it's where his arm can fit best. Um, dealing with some of the spacious right fields and, and balls that careen into the corner, maybe give up more triples that way. But I think long-term his arm could be something that counteracts some of that. Ultimately, I don't have a hugely strong take on it. I just, I think the number of hits, like routine hits, they go to left field and it ends up being an adventure to see if he keeps it in front of him. It happens more than I see it happen in right. And it, it doesn't, he doesn't look great in either spot. He doesn't look good in either spot. I think eventually he could become fine as an outfielder. It's to be expected that he struggles because, again, they did not give him enough of a run time, a runway, I should say, coming from August 1st of last year. And then saying at the beginning of next year, hey, you're a starting outfielder in, in Major League Baseball. Wasn't realistic to think that that would just work. And, and shocker, it didn't. And, he, and he's struggling at times. But I do think he's an athletic guy and he's going to be good enough to figure it out. A lot of people who want to see Paul Goldsmith traded, which I'm still not on that bandwagon. I don't think it's a, a decision the Cardinals should make. Um, but for those who, who like that idea, they say, oh, stick Jordan Walker at first. It's like Ron Washington said Moneyball. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> Billy Bean's character, Brad Pitt, you know, the actor says, oh, it's not that hard. Tell him, wash. And he says to Scott Hedberg, it's incredibly hard. I don't think you can just automatically say, well, Jordan Walker's big. He can play first. Like, that's not a guarantee at all. And so it's nice to have Goldsmith that, that they do right now as a defensive advantage at first base. I, I don't think you just stick Walker at first because you think he's unathletic and not able to, to play an outfield spot. Number one. Number two, I don't think he would automatically be a good first baseman. So, and, and he could work on it just like any other position. But you remember Jose Martinez at first. And again, I think Walker, much better athlete than Jose Martinez. But Jose Martinez was terrible at first base and never really did get the hang of it. And it's detrimental to your team in ways that I, I don't know if it's often as de detrimental to stick him in right field and call it good. So I don't know if it's really a conversation that anybody cares about at this point. Long-term, the Cardinals are going to have to figure out what to do exactly. But for right now, when you've got Carlson playing center, which you damn well should anytime he's in the lineup ever, hashtag Everyday Dylan, so that means he should be your center fielder every single day, even when Tommy Edmonds back. I know it's crazy, but Dylan's a better center fielder. I'm just saying. Tommy did a great job. It's amazing what Tommy and Brendan Donovan are able to do in the outfield when they're like not outfielders by trade. It just shows how good of athletes those two guys are. But Dylan should be your center fielder every day. This like we've we've been doing this for three months. We I don't understand it. 
They've looked for every reason. They say they're not doing it that way, but it's it's like their actions dictate. They've looked for every reason not to play him in center. Just play him in center field. He's showing every day why that, that that's a good idea. And then you figure out the corners from there. Um, could be, get more complicated when Tyler O'Neill comes back. But I don't even want to get into speculation on that because that could go a number of different directions. What I do want to finish up on tonight, though, Tommy Edmond did officially hit the injured list on Friday. The Cardinals phrased it as right wrist inflammation. We knew he had the sore wrist from July 4th when he was scratched from the starting lineup. Did show up in the game, though, on Wednesday, July 5th, which means the Cardinals cannot backdate that injury any further as they otherwise would have been able to do because he did appear in that game on Wednesday defensively. He appeared Thursday defensively as well. I guess that's out of necessity because Brendan Donovan can't play the field right now because he can't throw. And so those are your two utility guys that can be starters every day and they can move around every day. But Tommy can't hit evidently with the wrist and and Brendan Donovan can't throw, I guess is the situation. So that put the Cardinals in a tight spot rather than try and squeeze it out through the weekend and see what either of those guys would be able to ramp up and do. They put Tommy Eben on the injured list. The thing I wanted to highlight though, is because he played the last couple of days, you're not going to be able to backdate the injury as far, but you do have the three games that he'll miss over the weekend. uh, One of which has already been played. And then the four days for the all-star break that will count in his favor. So he won't have to miss as much time, but because he was needed for defensive replacement purposes for those couple of days, the Cardinals maybe ended up costing themselves a couple of days of Tommy after the break. Although it is not a guarantee that the injury is going to be the minimum 10 day variety. It could be something that lasts even longer. We've seen that multiple times, although with Newpar and Tyler O'Neill, it was the back issue that cropped up for both of those guys. But like, we thought, oh, it might just be a quick 10 days, and then in, in neither case did that happen that way. So we'll see with Tommy what it ends up being. But, yes, he is officially on the injured list and will be out until, I guess, at least that first series after the All-Star break next weekend at Bush Stadium. I guess he will probably not be available for that, doing the quick math. That, though, is going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Once again, if you could like this video and subscribe to the channel, comment below as well with your thoughts on everything going on with the Cardinals now. How worried are you about the Jordan Montgomery injury impacting what they'll be able to get for him at the trade deadline, if anything? That, I think, ends up being the topic of the day. And so sound off below in the comments on that and let me know what you think. Enjoy hearing from you guys when it comes to all things Cardinals baseball. Thanks so much again for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.